Hey, you guys are listening to Scooby Dudes, a podcast where two best friends talk about their favorite meddling kids. And their dumb dog, too. I am one of the co hosts. My name is Evan. I am the other co host. My name is Luke. Evan, thank you so much for joining me here on site together recording in the same exact room. I actually like to think that, uh, that I am off site right now because, uh, you know, Scooby Dudes is, uh, is recorded in Toronto. I, I think Scooby Dudes is recorded in St. Paul, Minnesota. That can't possibly nah, be that, true. I'm pretty sure that's where we're headquartered. So I, I, I am off site right now. I'm pretty sure you're on site, but it's a, I mean, it's, it's a moot point. This is remote. I'm actually doing this remotely right now. All right. We're going to break real quick for a brief uh, round of fisticuffs to determine who's, uh, whose home is the headquarters of this, this podcast. While we're doing that, go ahead and enjoy an amazing episode that we've teased for a while. Yeah, we're going to be taking on the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. We were supposed to hand that to you last week, but you know what they say. You gotta flim the flam if you want to joy luck your juice. We hope you enjoy this episode. Try to forget that Luke said that. Yeah, try and forget everything I said uh, leading into this episode and during this episode, and you guys are going to have a great time. Enjoy the outro. Yeah, so, you know, strap in, do whatever you need to do. Really, just thank you for listening to this. I think it's a very special episode you've got ahead of us. Evan, will you join me outside for these fisticuffs? I, I am ready. I am willing. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> Two dudes talking about Scooby-Doo. Two dudes just like you. Unless you're a lady, mm, this show is for ladies too. If you're LGBTQ, we are your Scooby-Doos. So this one goes out to all the ghouls, all the ghouls I've loved before. Hey yo, hey yo ghouls, I know I maybe didn't treat you the best. Oh yeah. But uh, I'm gonna do you right now, oh yeah. I'm gonna do you right now? Is that what you <laughs> yeah. meant to say just then? <laughs> oh no, I'm gonna do right by you right now. When I'm doing you right now, oh yeah. <laughs> we, I, are we using this? Give me your money. <laughs> <laughs> That's a no. <laughs> uh, you're giving me two easy laughs there. I can't stop. That voice is so funny, though. <laughs> I think that's a little Lauren Lapkus inspired now that I think about it. Oh, yeah. Now that you say that, that does sound right. <sighs> So, so, so you want to get into this? I want to get into this. So who's who's this episode going out to? We're not going out to anyone. We're just going to start the episode like normal podcast no, hosts. Like, you're not, not going to dedicate it no, to like... No shout-outs. People of a particular group that you've perhaps it's been almost, familiar with in the past. It's almost like we, did a, we, we opened this up and you botched it. Botched it so badly that I don't want to try that bit again. You <laughs> Stop making faces. Nobody can see except for me. <laughs> no. Anyway, we're in. This is Scooby Dudes. We've already done the intro. Luke here. Evan there. Yep. To all the ghouls I've loved before. 13 Ghosts of Scooby Doo. This is the seventh incarnation of the Scooby Doo series. A lot has changed in this one in particular. The animation looks very similar to the original. But uh, what's happening in this episode is nothing like the Scooby-Doo you know. So just a little bit of groundwork. One of the most significant things about the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo is uh, it's self-contained, only 13 episodes. 
And also, who are we missing? We are missing uh, two of my favorite characters. We're missing Velma and Fred. So this is a series that has Shaggy, it has Scooby, it has Daphne, and it has a couple new characters. Fred and Velma are nowhere to be seen. A little bit more background. Uh, This ran 1980. They were made in 1985. They were aired at around that time. I don't know. I think think we can just, yeah, pick it up. Drop the synopsis here. After crash landing in a town where its cursed inhabitants become werewolves at night, Scooby and Shaggy unwittingly release the 13 ghosts from the chest. As Bogle and Weird put it, these living ones are among the most stupid on Earth. Apparently we're crash landing somewhere with werewolves. There's a chest that's got 13 ghosts in it. There's Bogle and Weird. Who are they? I don't know. And we haven't even gotten to the more notable new characters of Flim Flam and Vincent Van Gool. Uh, and that's actually the perfect segue because the episode opens up on this uh, Vincent Van Gool character. It, it opens up, it zooms in on what we could think of as this, the prototypical castle on a hill. Creepy castle on a hill on this jutting cliff that's almost inaccessible. We zoom in and we zoom in even deeper to find Vincent Van Gogh, a character based on and voiced by Vincent Price, telling us about the story of the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. It's a framed story. Oh, man, and here's the thing. I know that we just did this. I feel like I gotta say it. Mm. You know that Vincent Van Gogh is very lovingly rendered, right? <laughs> Stop saying that. No, no, look, look. I won't apologize because he is um because he he bears the likeness of Vincent Price. Yeah. He's so much better drawn than anyone else. Like it it's it's not jarring, but it's it's almost to that point. And it's very noticeable. Uh Shaggy they animate him any which way they can. You can tell that the intern animates Shaggy every episode. Vincent Van Gogh had senior artists on him. There was a lot of attention to detail on him, maybe because they wanted to do respect to an actual movie star that they had in this series. And, uh, and Vincent Van Gogh, if you weren't aware of who he is, I wasn't either. He acted in a lot of black and white scary horror movies back in the day and thrillers. Yeah, my main experience with Vincent Price is whenever people would fan cast like superhero movies, for Doctor Strange... They would always say, oh, if, if Vincent Van Price were still alive and, and young, they would want him for Stephen Strange, Doctor Strange. And actually, Vincent Van Gogh kind of looks like that. Yeah. And my point of reference is uh, Dr. Orpheus from Venture Bros, who I think is actually based on Doctor Strange and basically is Vincent Price. Um, like, he's got that very eloquent thespian way of speaking. And he is lovingly rendered. He's, he has full body animation all throughout, whereas everyone else looks like they're flash animated, like limbs just kind of jerking robotically. You can't see it, but Luke is jerking his limbs robotically. I'm doing a oh, sick robot pop and lock that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so Vincent Van Gogh, like Luke said, he's uh, he's sort of narrating what's going on. He basically says that there is he intimates that there is a demon chest. Uh, it's going to be unlocked, and within this chest there are 13 ghosts. And I'm, I'm not content to leave it at intimating. I need to deliver Vincent Price's rhyme, Vincent Van Gogh's rhyme. Once upon a midnight dreaming, I woke to a ghostly screaming, so I gazed into the crystal ball to see what was new. That is a terrible rhyme, by the way, to see what was new. 
It's terrible. <laughs> it's also not very interesting. Yeah. So I gazed into the crystal ball to see what was new. That's how people talk about getting on Facebook. And what I watched was truly shocking. The demon chest it was unlocking, unlocking the 13 ghosts of Scooby-Doo. And as he's saying this, he's waving his hands over a crystal ball held by some sort of lizard-like clawed hand. And we zoom into that, into another castle. So again, it's a frame within a frame. Oh, this is, uh, I, I don't know why it didn't occur to me right away, but that's Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, is it? The Raven, right? Oh, is that the, uh... Yeah, like, as I pondered weak and weary... I woke up to a ghostly screaming... And he had, and the, the meter is very similar. Um, it is the the, the internal whatever. Uh, we both majored in English, so <laughs> so we eventually make those connections. <laughs> so uh, what happens is um, we we see some snowy hills and we see a sign, and the sign says in all caps, "Welcome to the Himalayan Mountains." It's snowy hills. There's no like mountain tops that we see above us. We're already at the top of the Himalayas. Shouldn't they put that when you're getting into the Himalayas? This is like you have to get to the center of Kansas to see a Welcome to Kansas sign. There's a castle up there. And uh, first of all, what's a castle doing in the in the heights of the Himalayas? It, it looks like a kind of medieval castle, I'd say. We, not culturally like uh, accurate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's not like... They're not pagodas. Anyway, when you think of like Nepal, when you think of like Tibet, you think of the Himalayas, you have a certain idea, you have a certain picture in your mind. This isn't it. Yeah. Like Luke said, it looks like a medieval castle. But the upshot is we zoom into the second castle, we go inside of it, and we have this long pan. We're expecting something about a chest that Vincent van Gogh indicated us to, but what we see initially are two semi-transparent yellow ghosts. So the first ghost, uh, he is showering, there's a loud noise, he wakes up the second ghost. First ghost is kind of pudgy. The second ghost looks like the string cheese mascot. And uh, and the pudgy ghost sounds kind of like Yogi Bear. Well, I don't know about that, weird. Round, vowels, goofy, slow sound to him. Uh, and since weird is, is skinnier, he has like a longer nose, he, he sneers a little bit more when he talks. So, fat bogle and skinny weird with the frayed top of his head. And, and I guess, can we pause for a second? There are real ghosts in Scooby-Doo. That's new on its own. Th these, are, these are living, maybe not breathing, or maybe not even living, but they are existing supernatural entities. They are bone of fied ghosts. Real ghosts. We, there's no indication that they're uh, fake or dress up. And in fact, at one point, they say, like, because we are not living. Yeah, we're dead. They lay it out as clear as they can. I mean, the reason they say that is because there is a chest, um, and apparently this can only be opened by living people, which is when when they say that line that you're saying, Bogus says, which we are not. We, and then there's a slight pause, are ghosts. <laughs> so for the slow kids, they're up to speed now too. And what's in this chest? Well, the ghosts tell us it's full of the most terrifying, dangerous demons. Demons, note you. I don't remember the last time I heard that in Scooby-Doo. That, that have ever been, the 13 ghosts. Yeah, they use that term interchangeably. Check out the show notes on, on the website, scoobydudes.com. Um, but yeah, these are the 13 ghosts, uh, and they will be called demons as well moving forward. Yeah. Um, so these two ghosts, Bogle and Weird, they're like the gravediggers in a, in a Shakespearean play. They're the fools of the episode. But they want to open this chest because it's got all these terrifying uh, ghosts in it. At one point, Bogle asks like, hey, but... Don't they hate us? Like, aren't we the loser ghosts and they don't like us? Yeah, and Weird's like, no, 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 look, if we release them, they'll consider us heroes. I made a parallel in my mind to, like, these are the uncool kids who are going to try and break all the cool kids out of detention. 
to it's actually so sad yeah because if you've ever seen any like teen high school movie you know that the losers who help out the popular kids don't in turn really become popular they aren't satisfied like those are the least happy characters on their own and they're like in this episode they're the villains and they're going to be here throughout the season they're going to be the kind of silly villains the whole time but it's sad they want like friends and respect and to be part of a a bigger group of peers and they're probably not going to get that and it's like man don't you guys have each other aren't there any other ghosts anywhere that you could befriend instead of these like ghost demons in this chest yeah i mean you're clearly comfortable together bogle you're happy showering out of a bro off of a broken pipe uh, right in front of Weird. Uh, so they kind of lay out the premise for us that they want to get this chest open and get these demons released so they can get on the good side of the cool kids. But how are they going to do that? Only the living can touch and open this chest. The 13 ghosts are uh, are complicit or, you know, they're, they're sort of working with Bogle and Weird to an extent uh, in the sense that they sound out a signal which is letting them know, them know that uh, the living ones yes. are coming this way. Weird says they can be sure that the living ones will open the chest because, and I quote, these are among the stupidest on earth. Which is something we're going to hear a couple times. How stupid these people are. And the way we pan to these stupid people who are indeed the gang is we zoom in on Weird's eyes which turn red and become two giant red suns that then intersect in the center of which is an airplane. I, I feel like I'm watching Legion for a second here, the kind of weird cinematic cuts we're making. Timely pretty good reference i assume anyone who hasn't watched it will probably agree <laughs> <laughs> all right so yeah we see this plane in the sky it says mystery and then in smaller letters flying and then in larger letters again machine yeah so this is their version of the mystery machine and we see indeed the trimmed down version of the gang also pause for a second can you hear this honking in the background of me i cannot okay i'm glad i just yeah I, it's, it's definitely not being picked okay. up um Super so sitting in sitting in the cockpit are, uh, are Scooby and Shaggy. And I do want to mention very, very quickly, Shaggy's not wearing a green shirt. Nor is he wearing his typical brown pants. He's wearing a red shirt, and it's a deeper V-cut than normal. It's a noticeably deep V-cut. Uh, and I guess jeans, right? Yeah, and jeans. And shoes with laces, I think. So it's a bit more detailed. It's a totally unnecessary change-up. Daphne does get a makeover a little bit. She's got a slightly more timely hairdo. It's a little bit more modern. The curls are all poking into her face in the way that was popular. And she's got a purple uh, jumpsuit. Mm -hmm. So Scooby's the same, obviously. Except in this case, when we zoom into the cockpit, he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt and uh, strumming a uke. Um, so Shaggy, he's, he's the pilot. Uh, Scooby's his co-pilot. Shaggy says, oh, we're in Honolulu, Hawaii. Look at those white sandy beaches. <laughs> And they're, but they're flying over the Himalayas, obviously, so Daphne grabs the map. Oh, and by the way, Scrappy's there. I'm going to ignore Scrappy in this episode as much as I can, because I don't like Scrappy. Look, you don't like Scrappy. I don't really like Scrappy. We're not Scrappy fans. But to be perfectly fair to us, this episode doesn't utilize him almost at all. And part of the reason for that is Flim Flam, a new young character with lots of tood who rolls onto the scene in this episode, kind of usurps Scrappy's role. He might seem a bit redundant. The upshot is the Scrappy has very few lines and they're generally not very substantive. You know how Shaggy always has the one-liners and he makes a joke out of everybody's stuff? Scrappy is just there for bland affirmation. This is bad. Yeah. Yeah, Scrappy will like make a very standard observation. He, he's contributing almost nothing to, uh, to this particular episode. He's there um, to state the obvious. Have Scooby and Shaggy ever struck you as being dumb? That has been said before in the episodes we've watched so far, and 
I don't see it play out very consistently. They're goofy and, you know, like, objectively, maybe they're stupid. The whole gang is objectively stupid along with everyone in this world. I don't see any evidence that they're actually dumber than anyone else, but in this episode, they won't stop calling them stupid. Scooby and Shaggy are cowardly. That's, that's their main descriptors. They're cowards. It's not that they're, like, dummies. Yeah, I'd say they're cowards. They're gluttons. They have a sense of ingenuity to them on the level of Mr. Bean. That's a really good way of putting it. But if there was any question as to whether or not Scooby and Shaggy are, and again, I quote, among the stupidest on Earth, here they are flying over the snow-capped Himalayas and saying, oh, these are the white sandy beaches of Hawaii. Yeah, they're trying to get to Hawaii. Shaggy is flying the plane. Credit to him, I guess he's got a pilot's license. How dumb can you be if you've got a pilot's license? I think the mistake was making Scooby do the, uh... The navigating, because he's a dog. And also, he's playing ukulele at the same time. So Daphne grabs the map and scolds them, like, No, this is the Himalayas, not Hawaii. We're 7,000 miles away. Shaggy's like, Himalayas, Hawaii, what's the difference? Weird is down there, and what he does is he, he takes... He rips the top of his head off, and, uh a red beam of magic comes out and unscrews the gas cap and one of the engines fails. Shaggy's like, don't worry, Scoob. We still have engine two. Q engine two failing. And at this point, the plane is plummeting mm. because it's, you know, the engines are dead. This is a very frightening episode. And this is just the first really big, scary moment. Yeah, it opens on some tension. Normally, Scooby-Doo will open on the monster cackling to himself on the top of a building or the edge of a cliff. But we don't typically see the gang in peril. Here, the plane is about to crash and Scooby is clinging to the back of Shaggy's seat. His teeth are chattering so fast near the back of Shaggy's head that we see all these little things darting out around. It's disgusting. I hate it. Just the idea of chewing hair is so... It makes me so uncomfortable. Yeah, and that's what it is. Scooby's teeth are chattering and chomping at Shaggy's hair, making hair fly everywhere. And aside from the grossness of the idea of hair flying everywhere like you were in a barber shop during a tornado, the idea of hair in your mouth, which this absolutely communicates, it, you feel the hair in it. It's so, it's disgusting. And it's all in service of this gag where we cut away and we cut back. And uh, Shaggy has a mohawk. Yeah. Scoob Scooby's, his his teeth acting as clippers or, or whatever you want to call them, have, have shaved the sides of Shaggy's head just clear. As if he just went to the barber shop. I, I think it's one of the worst conceived gags. Because here's the thing. You see him with the mohawk and you you know that Shaggy's not going to have a mohawk for the rest of the episode. Yeah, they could they should have ended on that note. But it's not even 20 seconds until we cut back to Shaggy with full hair. There's a continuity issue. I don't think I'm being anal about this. I don't think I'm yeah. overreacting. No, the payoff is just so small. So it's, little. It's so much work for, for so little uh, reward. And at the price of making me imagine hair in my mouth, my gosh, you gotta Ooh, do a big payoff That's for that. the worst part. Um, speak, I, back to Scooby and Shaggy. They run to the back of the, the plane. They say, abandon the ship. Cowards and canines first. Scooby has a has a parachute, but it's not a parachute. It's a giant inflatable rubber duck. Yeah, he pulls the ripcord, and I guess he wasn't expecting it to be a giant inflatable rubber duck. It starts inflating inside the plane, and then it inflates so much it has to, it like inflates outside of the plane, and then the wind whips it out, but the cords are stuck. So the plane has this, it's falling, and there's this weird giant inflatable piece of drag behind it. And in this terrifying moment, this Scooby is going to get sucked out of the plane because of this stupid giant rubber duck. And his paws are clinging onto the door of the plane. And for the briefest of moments, I thought that the door was going to slam with his, <laughs> his little like paw pad fingers in there. 
Oh, I no, seriously, I was like, oh, please, no, please, no, please, no. All right, so that's terrible. I didn't even think of that. But there was that moment where his fingers release and Shaggy's arm grabs him. Yeah, it's, a, it's an action movie sequence. Yeah, and then they're both dragged behind the plane, Shaggy dragged by his actual parachute, which he got, and Scooby by the giant, giant inflatable It's It's duck. very large. I know rubber duck makes you think like a little duck, but no, the duck is big. Yeah, it sounds like a small term. It's not petite. All this is very frightening, and, and there's a lot of, like, adrenaline. We cut away to a very quiet setting, which is this quaint little Himalayan village in which a group of white European-looking villagers are chasing a little brown boy. Yeah, and it's very much a European village, too. Like, they, I'm looking at it right now. There are crosses built into the architecture, the very Tudor-style buildings. It's an unquestionably European settlement here, high up in the Himalayas. And I would note, everyone here is white, except the one person who is a visitor. Again, the one who is being chased by the townspeople. And who is it being chased by the townspeople? You've been waiting for him. It's Flim Flam. Flim Flam. We open up on Flim Flam. He's been up to some mischief and the townspeople are after him. Flim Flam, I can't even imagine the person connected to that name. What's he look like? He's, he's ethnic. He's brown. He's clearly like not a little white boy. He's got kind of like a, you know, like longer hair, a little, yeah, a little bit, not like a bowl cup, but you know what I mean. It's kind of like, he's wearing pants and a sweatshirt. He's wearing, yeah, like yellow sweatpants and one of those like sweatshirt hoodies that has like double hand pockets on the stomach, a hood that goes all the way around the neck, like the whole way around as if he's wearing a scarf. And he's a, he's a kid. He looks like he couldn't be more than 10 years old. He, he's definitely a child. And he what he's doing is he's pulling a little cart full of bottles. And when they finally catch him, you can tell that he's trying to appeal to the youth. And by youth, I mean kids. Kind of like a Scrappy-Doo presence. He's defiant. He's doing his own thing. He's sticking it to the grown-ups. He says a lot of things that I guess were trendy at the time, that were like cool and hip. The first lines he says, I believe, are, Howdy, folks! What can I do you for? Now, whether that was the way people spoke at the time, the, the upshot is he's being chased by the townspeople because they consider him a huckster, what we'd easily call a snake oil salesman. That's what he appears to be. Basically, um, one of the townspeople, who you will find out is the mayor, says that this guy, Flim Flam, kid, has caused nothing but trouble since he arrived in your Sylvania. Which neither fits with the Himalayas, nor the, uh, the European style of the town, it's uh, weird from every angle. Not the Bogolin weird weird, just weird. As a little bit of context, the mayor is what? He's got like little spectacles, a top hat. One of those walrus mustaches that goes all the way from sideburns to stash. Very, everything about this is European. And again, you're Sylvania, not a, pl a place name that you would that you would associate with the Himalayas. But, uh, but Flim Flam's not gonna leave so easily. He tells him, hey, you guys have got trouble. Trouble with a capital T. Rhymes with B. B for bad. Man, can't argue with that kind of logic. <laughs> what are you selling, bud? <laughs> He's selling lots of luck joy juice. And what he does is he goes through all of the uses for this product. It removes all unwanted curses, jinxes, and evil spells. It's also a great rocket fuel. Mmm. Pin that for later. That's a little preview of what's to come next. Lots of luck joy juice. Remember that name. You're going to want some of it. But these townspeople don't want some of it. They aren't buying it. They tell him to get out of town. And to sort of bring his, you know, he, Flim Flam said that there was bad luck. Basically, to really prove his point, there's this plane that is like careening towards the village in between buildings. It's out of control. Flim Flam feels quite vindicated as the plane flies overhead with the giant duck that 
Flim Flam grabs onto and he's whisked away. Bogle and Weird, they're like, oh, the silly ones, they're here. I, I wanna, it's hard because I want to, to get through all of this so quickly, but there's so much weird stuff that like, that you can't ignore. And this episode has a lot of like, cut here, cut back to here, cut here, cut back to here. What happens is Daphne, um, they crash the plane near the temple or the castle that we've been talking about. And now they're trying to figure out how they can get to Hawaii. They've crash landed in the Himalayas, but they're, they're still of a one track mind. They're not trying to look for mysteries. They're trying to go on vacation. Flim Flam, obviously, was, he was caught up in this. So he's with them. He says, hey, let me just uh, let me call my travel agent for you. Whips out his cell phone and starts dialing. At which point they're all put under arrest. Uh, a guard shows up and, and Shaggy's like, oh, hey, this is your travel agent. No, it's not. This just happened at the same time. They're all put under arrest and taken into the town and immediately put on trial. Wow, that was fast. It's funny because it's like, oh, what did we do? It's like, well, you almost crashed a plane into our town, killing everyone. <laughs> this is look. This is a this is a pre nine eleven world. I can only assume that were this created like post two thousand one, the villagers would have reacted far differently. They would not have been so lenient because because uh, it turns out that all they want them to do is just get out of town before nightfall. Just get out of here before the sun goes down and daphne says that's fine yeah we'll, we'll just get our plane gassed up and we're gonna get out of here the mayor says f that gassed up or no you're getting out of here yeah he's serious it's serious business yeah and he, he's the mayor but he's also called in his role as the judge the burgermeister which shaggy's happy about that uh, he's the right the right honorable burgermeister Burger yeah that's just a little one off so shaggy can water at the mouth for a moment so the upshot is they've got to get out of here they're good citizens. They want to get to Hawaii. That's still their priority. So they go back to the temple. The plane is gone. It's not outside of the temple like it was before. And and what we found out is that Bogle and Weird, while the gang was away, they dragged the airplane inside the temple in the hopes of bringing them in because they need them to open the chest. And here's the thing that is just so... It's just so weird... Um, we're saying weird a lot for an episode with a character named weird <laughs> yeah i'm realizing that as well uh bogle has locked the door accidentally so the gang can't get in yeah and is that he bogle says it like i forgot i forgot not to lock it you're ghosts why are you locking the temple who are you trying to protect it from no one can hurt you and look you want it to be open right for for anybody to come in and open the chest so it shouldn't be second nature that you're locking this door yeah I, it, I have no idea what what they're thinking is with this so again the gang can't go into the temple it's locked they go back to the town where one last thing yeah uh most importantly unlock the door <laughs> oh yeah but Bo Bo bogle and weird don't unlock the door when they're there <laughs> And granted, the gang would think it's, you know, I feel weird calling it the gang without Velma and, and Freddy. It, it really does. It feels unfair uh, to, to Freddy. It's not the gang. And, uh, I need to, to can we call it something else? The crew? The crew makes them sound too, like, badass. I know, yeah. They don't deserve that either. The gaggle? Ugh, I don't know, man. That's that's tough. We probably should have talked about this before recording this episode. Yeah, sorry, folks. I'm sorry I called them the gang at all. I'm sorry you called them the crew at all. Whatever the case, they're back to the town. Flim Flam says, hey, that's okay. I've got a friend who can help you. Now, for one thing, I thought Flim Flam was a traveling snake oil salesman. How does he have a friend in this town? How does he know somebody who's a resident? Right, yeah, you assume that Flim Flam was a sort of like a vagrant, sort of a... Sojourner. Um, they go back to the town. As you said, Flim Flam has a friend. Doesn't make sense why he has a friend. His relationship to this town is confusing. The town's relationship to this town is confusing. 
Everything is confusing. They go back to the town. They go back to a bar in the town. A smoky, smoky bar in the town. It's so smoky. Just standing near someone who's just smoked a pa like a cigarette, it smells disgusting. Standing in that room would be like standing inside of a person who has just smoked a cigarette. If you smoke and you listen to our podcast, please keep listening. Please keep listening, but know that you stink. I mean, we're going to tell you. <laughs> oh, man, no punches pulled. We hope you tell us if we stink. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a an, it's an extremely smoky tavern, basically. It's it's a weird decision to go with. Um, it's a what decision? It, sorry. I'm <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> Um, I just want to provide an extra little bit of context. The reason they are going to meet Flim Flam's friend is because Flim Flam's friend is a mystic and will tell them how to get into the temple. Um, so they go to this bar. I guess this is a typical British town in that they don't check IDs. Flim Flam leads the group in. Everyone stops. There's that moment where everyone pauses and looks at the door, like chairs scrape in silence. Yeah, like a saloon, right? Like in the Wild West. Yeah, a man just walked in and ordered milk. You have, you know, yeah, the piano player like stops, right? It's yeah, like, it's, it's like one of those sort of situations. He like jumbles a little bit. Like, <laughs> and uh, flam flam, I guess, break the tension. Howdy, you crazy nuts, you! <laughs> She's like, nobody likes you, flam flam. <laughs> He's so hateable. Nevertheless, uh, we and the group follow flam flam into the back room. He pulls back a curtain, and we again see Vincent Van Gogh. And again with Vincent Van Gogh. They put so much time and attention into animating him. Every frame, it's like a full body movement. He's just so lovingly rendered. Vincent van Gogh is maybe the only thing that's only person or object or anything that's lovingly rendered in this whole episode. In other episodes, we've cited quite a few things. He is the only well done part of this episode. Mm -hmm. uh, Flim Flam is talking to Vincent van Gogh. And I didn't realize this until I think maybe my third or fourth time watching it. But he says, hey, Vince, it's me, Flim Flam. I've got some live ones here. And for a second there, I was like, oh, are Vincent Van Gogh and Flim Flam like ghosts? And we've only seen the first episode. Neither of us have seen the whole series. Right. I thought throughout this episode that Vincent Van Gogh is actually dead. Yeah. There's a lot of things he says throughout that kind of imply he's not amongst the living. Yeah, he, he, because, mostly because he refers to the living as the living. Um, yeah. In the context of this particular quote, it didn't occur to me until really quite recently that saying that we've got some live ones here is something that a con man would say. Yeah, it makes it sound like they're going to use um, the group here. Yeah, let's just call them the group. Why didn't we think about, yeah, they're the group. They're not the gang. Yeah. So but Vincent Van Gogh is a benign character. Someone says, oh, we need your help. Okay, here, let me slap a table over this cauldron and then have these weird non-matching talks with you guys Sorry, where I'm having the these having these what <laughs> give me slack <laughs> i don't deserve anything for that i need to stop laughing at that voice because i know it encourages you to bring it up no yeah, it's true uh vincent kind of gives us the rundown he he uses his crystal ball he finds out that the plane is in the temple he explains that the temples where the evil spirits are these evil spirits have cursed the town and the curse on the town is that each night when the moon rises, the townsfolk turn into werewolves. Mm. So we've we've caught up with the premise that I described at the beginning by now. And I'd note that the uh, the mayor and his right-hand woman are listening in at the doorframe. And th so they hear that the group now knows they turn into werewolves. And they say, now we can't let them leave. Which is, look, we're going to get into some really spooky, frightening stuff. And I don't mean that in like a 
in like a facetious way i mean that stuff is really actually frightening and this is just the first part of that yeah we all have movies we saw as kids that scared us more than they were probably meant to this is one of those things that i think didn't quite pick didn't pinpoint where its audience was at i mean i didn't see it at the time but it's scarier than it feels like it should be. I definitely saw the part that we're getting to episode when I was a kid, and it really scared me. It's genuinely scary. In a previous episode, the one before last, we discussed make a beeline away from that feline in which some scary stuff happened. This is the next degree of scary. I would say that this is several degrees up from that. I, I think this stuff is very frightening. And to sort of compound the fact that the mayor and his lackey are like, oh, we can't let them leave. Vincent Van Gogh is like, you need to get out quickly. Like, like the sun is setting. You can see that the sun has started to set mm. behind a stagecoach that's waiting. Yeah. Which implies that this is their trip out of town. This is the last helicopter out of Vietnam. You got to get going. And that's what they try to do. But the mayor catches them before they leave the bar. And he invites them to listen to a show that's about to be put on by Gulio. And Gulio, there's a stage, um, the curtains pull back, and there's a coffin sitting up there. And that coffin opens up and Gulio steps out. Yeah, very clearly a vampire. In an episode that doesn't... Um, Need any more monsters? I mean, it starts with two ghosts. And hasn't broached the subject of vampires at all. Like, are we really throwing this into the mix as well? We started with ghosts, then we threw in 13 more ghosts that we haven't seen yet. Then werewolves got thrown in the mix. And now this vampire, who, to be fair, this vampire's entire role is just to creepily apparently try to seduce Scooby and keep the gang from leaving. Here's the thing. Scooby and Shaggy are not thrilled about being serenaded by this vampire, but they're not scared. They look uncomfortable, but they're not freaking out. Yeah, at first Scooby looks kind of like shy, but then it turns into demure as this vampire is like moving up on him and like singing very close to his face. And at the same time, uh, Daphne is getting moved on by the mayor. We've been talking a lot about like supernatural scares. Here's some like IRL frightening, like real world type stuff. Cause we have a very large man creeping up on Daphne. And here's what he says. Oh. And again, I understand that current context is gonna shift some perspectives. What he says is, I see you're enjoying your drink. Yes, which he provided to her, by the way. He laid down a couple of uh, a couple of mugs of drinks that were steaming something purple and menacing looking. Uh, and then he leans in extra menacing <laughs> and, and menaces her. He might be a menace. He says it's a house specialty, a freshly squeezed wolfsbane. And with the, the only important thing that Scrappy says in this entire episode, wolfsbane. That's the stuff that turns people into werewolves. Daphne rejects that out of hand. That's just a superstition. And she has a swig of the stuff. Safe bet, Daphne. We just were told that uh, you need to get out of here fast, but that's the power of Gulio. There's a wolf howl, and in my favorite shaggy line of the whole episode, uh, he says, so what was that, the blue bird of happiness? I totally missed that. The bluebird of happiness. That that was a contemporary phrase that everyone used at the time. If, yeah, if you were around in the 80s, it was always like, oh, the bluebird ha of happiness this, the bluebird of happiness that. How are you doing today, man? Uh, bluebird of happiness, you know? Oh, so sorry, dude. How about you? Well, bluebird of happiness. Hey, man, how are you feeling? Are you feeling more blue or more happiness? Uh, yeah, kind of in the middle. I'm bird right now. <laughs> <laughs> feeling pretty bird of. Uh, hold on, let me look at my notes. They, they try to skedaddle again. Before it was the mayor keeping them from leaving, now it's Gulio. And Gulio transforms into a werewolf. We zoom in on his ankles as his pants stretch up and like his, his socks snap and his, 
legs become extra hairy. <laughs> we see him transform before our eyes, which is kind of graphic, but not that disturbing because we don't know him. He's no one to us, even in this episode. I feel like I kind of lied about Vincent van Gogh being the only lovingly rendered part of this. The transformations are actually quite well done. Yeah, the transformations, they, they did put some effort into. And you can see where the effort was taken out of to dedicate it there elsewhere. <laughs> but uh, his transformation looks good. And there's another transformation coming that is the most terrifying part of the episode for me. So everybody becomes werewolves. And at this point, look, as a kid, you can, you might imagine already very scary because they're trapped in a, in a tavern filled with werewolves. Literally every person, save for the group, has become a werewolf. Shaggy says, like, they're all werewolves. He grabs Daphne's uh, wrist. Yes, because he's like, we need to get out of here. Yeah, they got they to skedaddle. As his hand grabs onto her wrist, she turns into a werewolf underneath his touch. And again, the sensation of hair on our skin is forced on us. It's foisted on us. We didn't ask for this. They, they chose to render well those specific uncomfortable scenes. <laughs> like this one, where the objectively most attractive person in the show transforms into this hideous misshapen werewolf beast again very well rendered and she's still a redhead <laughs> to make things crueler as a callback to make a beeline away from that feline which at this point has to be our most called back to episode four episodes deep we had scooby begging shaggy uh raggy <laughs> raggy is um, there some sign of the man i loved in there it's this horrific thing where it's your best friend that has become the monster. In this case, it's Shaggy who is pleading with Daphne. Please, Daphne, don't hurt us. We'll get you home. We'll get you help. We'll get you a manicure. And and they're against, they have their back, again, they have their back against the door, and they're, they're surrounded on all sides by werewolves. Thankfully, they're able to break the door down. Yeah, I, I'm like, I'm sorry we're not making more jokes this episode, guys, but this is scary stuff. This is terrifying. It's very much framed and filmed like a horror movie because in classic horror movie fashion they run to the stagecoach and they're like take us to hawaii and the stagecoachman is obviously a werewolf yeah he turns around of course he's a werewolf and on top of that we have just the fact that they're asking to go without daphne that they've given her up that's the Im implication that they're they've had to come to terms with it right away so they can't escape on the stagecoach they can only escape to one other place which i'm sorry but is forcing me to make another callback to make a beeline away from that feline. They escape into the sewer. Oh yeah, I, that's a weird parallel. One thing we should have mentioned is, um, Scooby and Shaggy were in the tavern. Flimflam and Scrappy had managed to get away, probably because they're so tiny. So they're the ones who flip the manhole cover and help um, Scooby and Shaggy go down, but right before the manhole cover can slam closed, Daphne leaps down as well. Squeaks in before the manhole cover shuts closed, so now, Scooby, Shaggy, Scrappy, and Flimflam are trapped in the sewers with what was once Daphne is now a monster. Flimflam just wants to get somebody to try a little <laughs> bit of this lots of luck joy juice. Uh, he, he just, uh, he sprays it on her and he shakes it up and sprays it on her like champagne. You know what? It's not even a joke. Like, I'm pretty, that's literally what he does. That, that is absolutely what he does, yeah. In a weirdly, like, anticlimactic moment, she just turns back into a werewolf just, like, instantly. Yeah, it's uh, it's almost, it looks almost comedic the way they do it. You you heard it here, folks, another satisfied customer. It's like, okay, good job, Flim Flam. I mean, like, no, literally good job, but... Yeah, like, you yeah. saved Daphne. Also, where'd you get this Lots of Luck Joy Juice? It makes way more sense that Flim Flam was scamming people than, like, how did he get this magic stuff? 
Why is he and, just selling it for free? Right. Why is and no if, one yeah, buying it? If it really works, you'd think that people wouldn't be trying to run him out of town. Yeah, especially when they're werewolves and he could cure them. So he cures Daphne. I gotta say here, I'm not sure if you were going for it. Daphne and Shaggy embrace and it's a lingering embrace. I feel like you you observe a lot of the interpersonal moments that tend to pass me by, which I think is good. Well, it's just interesting that they embrace like Shaggy Pat's and they continue to talk with their hands around each other's like shoulder and back. They like finish the scene out with like, where do we go now? And it's like, well, we need to get back up to the, the castle to get our airplane. Like, oh, Scoob, we're doomed. And the whole time again, they're still embracing. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly something, man. Can we take a minute and speculate where where are Fred and Velma? Oh man, okay, yeah, I am. Let's let's view all of this within the context of of what is actually happening. Yes, which is that they are going to Hawaii for a vacation. Just just these three. Just the three of them. And uh, or, or Scrappy as well. Yeah, so the four of them. Scrappy as well. They're, they're going on, yeah. on vacation. A vacation from what? Because we, we don't know if being part of Mystery Inc. is the, are there actual jobs? Or if there was some kind of falling out. To be clear, Fred and Velma are mentioned in no way whatsoever. They're completely neglected. They're excised like a tumor from this, uh, this series. So my theory, my standing theory, is that something went down with Fred and Velma that made Daphne need to get a bit of distance. Hmm, she needed some time to clear her head. She needed some time to clear her head, because we all know Daphne and Fred is a thing. Fred and Velma, who knew? But I would not put it past Fred to be into that. Or Velma. When you work alongside someone for such a long period of time, stuff stuff happens, you know? Like, you can't, you can't predict anything. You can't, you can't, yeah, predict what directions your feelings are going to go, how you're going to develop. So, so that's my speculation. Fred and Velma have run off together. Daphne needs some time to recover because she always thought she and Fred were forever. And now there's something developing between her and Shaggy. And a little bit of a rebound. I mean, that's just like a thing that happens. Yeah. Not to cast aspersions on anyone. It's just, you know, it, it, it's how it works. I don't know. I think there's a little bit of uh, a Jughead Betty thing going on here. Oh, man. You gotta watch Riverdale. I'm at least reading on it because I can say stuff like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, back at the temple, back at the ranch, back at the castle. Yes. Bogle and Weird, at this point, I find infuriating. Because instead of locking this door, Bogle has used a jackhammer to break a hole into it. Yeah, instead of unlocking it, which we know they're able to do because they unlocked it and they dragged a plane in, it just doesn't make sense. So he's jackhammering through the door instead of unlocking it like we know he can. They're so shockingly incompetent. They need the group to get in there. Who are they calling these guys the stupidest on earth? Dude, this, that's so pot calling Kettle Black. It's, a, it's, a, it's the most extreme instances of irony. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they are ghosts, so they are capable of projection so this look this is a fun little like comedic respite uh, from all that's going on from this terrifying chase the group is trying to get back to the temple to, to retrieve their plane to, to get out of town but what's been happening while this jackhammering was taking place well the gang just walks up right well it's more that the group it looks like it is daytime that's right I, the general idea because all of that last stuff took place at night they've been chased throughout the night by these werewolves now it is day now the sun has risen it might be difficult because of the snow to determine the time but it, i'm positive it's day and which i think is the scariest part about this day has come the werewolves are not yet townspeople <gasps> yeah it, they're still werewolves and you make a great point that they, they've been on the lamb they arrive at the temple but the werewolves are still in hot pursuit and that's and that puts shaggy and scooby in a difficult situation because they have to go somewhere scary no matter what shaggy and scooby say we're not going in the temple that's scary so daphne says well look 
I'll give you a decision. I thought she was gonna say, I'll give you a Scooby snack. That's not what happens. I was also fully expecting like, okay, look, I'll give you Scooby snack. You'll go into the temple. Shaggy's one, like, there's a hole in your head, Daphne, if you think yeah. we're going in there. Which is like, man, we understand your life is like being threatened right now, uh, Shaggy, but cool down. That's pretty extreme. Yeah, that's kind of mean. Yeah, chill out. You're not going to win her over that way. That's how Fred lost her. Yeah, Daphne begins saying like, well, I'll tell you what. And you think she's going to negotiate. Nope. She says, I'll give you a decision. A, you can come in here with me. B, you can stay out here with them. And she points to the werewolves. It's so weird because, okay, she, she presents those two choices as option A and option B. What does Shaggy say? Option C. None of the above. And then he goes in with her. <laughs> so option A. I guess option A is what you want. You're being a real contrarian now, Shaggy. You know? This is like if you, if you were taking like a multiple choice test and, and you wrote in your own <laughs> answer at the bottom, but it was the same as one of the other answers. <laughs> It's like, it's like E, E fill in your own answer and you're just like E in the blank space, A. <laughs> and, and again, we're back in horror mode because they cover up the hole with rubble from the jackhammer, I assume. And they're like, fantastic, we are safe. And then the werewolves start to dig up through the rubble. Immediately, like they barely close it up and then they immediately start busting through. The group gets separated, essentially, in all this hubbub and confusion. Uh, Bogle and Weird save Shaggy and Scooby from two werewolves that are accosting them, and they flee deeper down into the temple. They want to save them so these stupids can open the chest. And then we cut to Flim Flam and Daphne, and I guess Scrappy, he's around, but we don't care about him. He's not saying anything, and at no point in this episode has Scrappy put up his dukes and said, let me at him, let me at him! Yeah, I mean, you think the whole reason he's there is to, to be a foil to Scooby's cowardice. Um... He's not putting up any kind of fight. He just has no presence in this episode. I want to apologize very briefly to our listeners, but what we're saying right now is essentially Scrappy-Doo's entire character. Scrappy is a, is a little dog. He is Scooby's nephew. He's brave in the face of literally everything. He's like a tiny, tiny version of Scooby-Doo. He's, uh, what's the anime term? He's like a chibi version of Scooby-Doo. Oh, that makes me dislike him so much more. Yeah, that's why we dislike him is because that's what he is. And I think he was popular at the time. Kids did enjoy Scrappy. But since then, he's become, I mean, he's become like an icon outside of Scooby-Doo for a hateable character who's introduced to gain wider demographic interest. It's all to say that um, compared to how Scrappy was first introduced, he is not as much Scrappy-Doo as he typically is. And we will be reviewing uh, more Scrappy-centric episodes in the future, regretful as I am to say it. So we'll see more of him. Here, he's mostly absent. Absent. This is a Flim Flam episode through and through. And we do cut to Flim Flam and Daphne cornered by werewolves. But fortunately, Flim Flam has a silver bullet. Not a silver bullet, but lots of luck, Joy Juice. Oh no, a silver bullet. He pulls out a gun. He pulls out a gun, loads a silver bullet into it, says, Eat this. <laughs> <laughs> and he shoots them. Does that count as a swear? Suddenly <laughs> <laughs> you said mada mada. Uh... Yeah, the point is that uh, the point is that Flim Flam kills the werewolf. <laughs> yeah, Flim Flam slays them. No, he doesn't. He sprays lots of luck joy juice on him, makes it rain again, and there is. It's, it's, it's sort of like a. It's sort of like an LMFAO champagne showers situation. Yeah, and it does work just as it worked on Daphne. It turns the werewolves back into humans, and it turns the werewolf bison 
into a normal bison. <laughs> yeah, it's like a cow. It's some sort of bovine creature. And this is one of those incredible, literally blink and you'll miss it moments. In episodes that we're about to review coming up soon, there's a lot of these. This is the main one in this episode I'm aware of. This one is huge. They're, they're being menaced by werewolves and you see them and then they get doused with the lots of luck joy juice and then they're not monsters anymore. And, and it's blink and you'll miss it because you see the werewolves so briefly. But if you look off to the right, one of them is a scary cow. It's not like a wolf cow. It's just like a scary cow. Yeah, with like some slightly sharp teeth. And we only really see it when Flim Flam's spraying them with his joy juice. Yeah, the lots of luck really helps like tame it up. Yeah. When you just say joy juice. Very different. <laughs> so the joy juice is obscuring our view of the bison. Uh, you can barely see it at all, and then it turns into a normal bison. So this whole town is afflicted. The livestock as well. Yes, exactly. If Ed, like when they went up to the uh, to the stagecoach, the assumption is that whatever was drawing that stagecoach was also a monster. Yeah, the the horse. The result of this is the townspeople are turned back into normal humans. They say thank you, thank you, you've saved us. I say. How the heck do you think you're okay now? You purposely turned Daphne into a werewolf. Yeah, I mean, if, if anything, you you had this curse. You don't want anybody, like, getting the news out. But then you also have the means of somehow spreading this curse to others. You're, you are actual monsters yeah. to an extent. Basically what they say is, thank you so much for curing us of this. Um, the 13 ghosts cursed us and we locked them in that chest. Hey, I think I know why they cursed you. Because you were turning random people into werewolves. <laughs> you deserve that. They're basically repeating what Vincent Van Gogh already told them. Yeah. Again, these townspeople are in no way redeemed in my mind. They chose to lock everyone in and not let them escape when they found out their secret. Why do you need to keep a lid on this secret? Yeah, why do you... Like, look, people are going to keep visiting you, and you're just going to keep turning them into werewolves. And what good is that? Also... Take down the Welcome to the Himalayan Mountain sign. Oh, it, you're clearly trying to capitalize on a tourist industry. There's so many things wrong about this. To segue into the next bit, incredibly enough, last episode, A Night of Fred is No Delight, we coined the term the Scooby-Doop. Yes, a beautiful term for my favorite gag. Our favorite gag. The official Scooby-Dude's favorite gag. And the Scooby-Doop is essentially the gag where Scooby and Shaggy are in a pinch with a ghost. In this case, with maybe a demon. And in order to get out of that... Uh, what they do is they create, almost always with the, with the help of costumes, they create a situation in which the social pressure to comply is so great that the monster, the ghoul, the ghost must buy into this scenario. And play along with this little act that they're doing. So for instance, they might be, you know, like... Shaggy might pretend to be a teacher and Scooby is like a, another student and Shaggy's administering a test to Scooby and the monster. And the monster, just being in this situation, seeing Scooby dressed up as this teacher and having the test in front of him, has to try and complete it. Right. And look, it's the kind of thing to build upon this. Scooby looks over at the monster's paper and the monster is like, and like covers his answers. Like, do not cheat. And it speaks a little bit to the humanity within the monster. It's funny as an adult. It's funny as a kid. It's great. It's And in, in this first episode of the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, there's already so much that's strange or odd about it. I caught myself that time. Good catch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> In, in which, like, oh, they're, like, supernatural entities, they're actual monsters, etc. So, 
it almost makes sense that the Scooby Dupe would be inverted. Yeah, so let's get them to the Scooby Dupe. We've just had the were the townspeople cured of their werewolfism. Uh, lycanthropy. Ooh. Just Thank you. Lycanthropy. I just want to come out ahead, L- listeners. Look, every episode, if you go to the to the website, I I try to I try to get to those corrections before you can. And ninety nine percent of the time, you correct me in the moment. You're able to clean up my messes as I make them. So as the townspeople's lycanthropy is cured, they cite the chest with thirteen ghosts as the reason for it, and they say. Well, just so long as no one opens that. And they're like, yeah, who would be stupid enough to open that chest? Which reminds Daphne, hey, where's Shaggy and Scooby? What I really like about that is Flim Flam has a little bit of a comment as well. Uh, and he runs through the gamut of, of bird insults. No one but a real dodo, a real cuckoo bird, a total loon. Oh, what, what was that term you used before? Like, uh, a... It's the, uh, the blue bird of happiness. Where are those two blue birds of happiness? He's using the other bird terms that were popular at the time. Yeah, it's, it's a very rockin' robin era. Tweet, tweet, tweet. <laughs> tweet OED. Ooh, rockin' robin gonna really, really rock tonight. Give me your tweets. <laughs> <laughs> so, Scooby and Shaggy are making their way down. They, they're down in this dungeon. Uh, which Vincent Van Cool describes as the crypt of darkness. It's basically the basement to this temple. Mm. And what they come across, they see cameras. They see uh, like like lights, uh, a backdrop. It's there's a set. It's like a show set that Bogle and Weird have created, effectively flipping the Scooby Doop on its head, such that the ghosts are doing a Scooby Doop on Scooby and Shaggy. Yes. What? Exactly right. Complete inversion. Um, of, of the crazy uh, just to paint a picture a little bit weird is uh, is the host you know he's got like a little suit on Bogle is the pretty lady the Vanna white the Vanna white he's wearing a, a shul a strapless dress with those long white gloves that go up like past the elbow that female presenters used to wear and what's the name of that game show Evan Oh, say it. You know what it does to me. You know what it makes me do. It's, it's, Go ahead it's, and say that name. Uh, it's Let's Make Them Squeal. <laughs> yes. Don't. Sorry, dude. No, this podcast is over. We're not doing this anymore. You know when you say it, it makes me do that. This is, this is a bad bit and you know it. Let's Make Them Squeal. You'd think it would be Let's Make Them Scream or something. Squeal. Oh, sounds like the wrong yeah, word. Yeah, scream would be scream would be more on brand for ghosts. In in a truly, uh, it, what what makes this all the more strange, is that um, Shaggy sees this setup, sees that it's let's make him squeal, and ex- excitedly exclaims like, "This is our favorite show, Scoop." Yeah, they've this is their show. They've watched. They, this is an actual real show in the context of Scooby Doo that's being recreated by Bogle and Weird who apparently watch TV and keep up with current trends. Basically, they have already won a car. That's what Weird tells them. You won this car. You can trade it for... I don't think they say you can keep it. I think Mm -hmm. this car is just a trading piece. So you can trade this car for what's behind curtain number one. Yeah, it's it's their plane. It's the mystery flying machine. And in a little bit of inconsistency within the show, within the show... uh, there's curtain number one, and then there's door number two. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, behind, what's, what's behind door number two? Behind door number two is a deluxe doghouse. Yeah, this is, uh, and I quote, a custom-built split-level puppy palace with its own factory-installed fire hydrant. And Scooby, like, he, like, faints backwards. 
He has to be caught by Shaggy. It's a pink fire hydrant shaped house with a fire hydrant in front of it of normal size and a an above ground swimming pool filled with bones. Scooby, he's like, please, please, Raggy. Uh, and then Shaggy's like, uh, I don't know, Scoob. I think we should go for the plane. Yeah. <laughs> and there's still another door slash curtain. Weird says there's something. In, uh, here's the third option. There's no door or curtain. It's just the third option. Mm. Um, there's something inside this box that's so incredible. It'll take your breath away. And of course, the third option is the chest with the 13 ghosts in it. Well, boys, what will it be? And then you, you have some crowd interaction. You don't see the crowd. Take the box. Take, 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 take the, the box. box. Take the box. And then the funniest part for me is where Scooby and Shaggy are like discussing it. Shaggy's like, I think we need the plane. And Scooby's like, oh, puppy palace. So I, I wrote it down exactly. The murmuring is like the plane, the house, the plane, the plane. Have you made your decision? Yes. We'll take the, the box. box. <laughs> Which supports the theory presented in the beginning of the episode that these are the stupidest on earth. I, I, I almost, I don't think so. Just because, look. You cut him some slack? Just because the Scooby-Doop works on every single monster. That's true. They're getting a taste of their own medicine here. You can't say it's completely unearned. And, uh, and Bogle and Weird, for how much they're annoying and, <laughs> and frustrating in this episode, they put on a tight show. Yeah, if, if anything, the production values are so high. I, I almost can't fault them even a little bit. This is their redeeming moment. To, to really rub salt in the wound, to really add insult to injury, Weird has a little bit of an exit interview. He asks, he asks Shaggy why he chose the box. <laughs> He's just really getting ready to make him regret. Uh, and Shaggy says, oh, I guess we just had a dumb hunch. At this point, the rest of the group, with the addition of Vincent Van Cool, makes it down too late. They open the chest, and from it spews this red hot fire and a demon's face it's a kind of a cool animation so so at first yeah it's this sort of like ball of energy it has horns it has a face but then it turns into a steamroller of sorts which starts charging towards Bogle and Weird, who are ready to embrace it but as if it were the light at the end of the tunnel they believe that they're about to be redeemed elevated to the they're cool like, kids table if you will they're the, they're the two teens who who bought beer for the party. And now they think that they're going to be cool for that. They think the jock is coming over to uh, to say, thank you guys, you're cool now. But he's there to crush a beer can on their heads. And yeah, they get steamrolled, obviously. Yeah, and it blasts out of this castle into the air and explodes in what I can only describe the same the way same you're way about that to describe. That I described, <laughs> I am positive. As a little burst of red sperm. <laughs> little Little fiery sperms, just like... Zooming their way in every direction. all across the heavens. And look, sometimes we're unnecessarily crass in this episode. Sometimes I personally am unnecessarily crass in this episode. You would be hard-pressed to call this anything else. Look, listeners, in on the website, scoobydudes.com, find, find this episode in particular. I'll put a gif, just so you can actually see what this looks like. Um, Vincent Van Gogh explains that the 13 foulest ghouls and specters on Earth have been released. Yeah. And if everything up to this point has felt weird, has felt abnormal. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. No one will know. Has felt abnormal because it's nothing like a normal episode of Scooby-Doo. A hint of normalcy enters as Vincent Van Gogh says, you created this problem, you've got to clean it up. We hear the familiar tones of the Scooby-Doo, a mystery is afoot music. 
Is Vincent Van Gogh undressing? You know what? That's actually the perfect segue into what I was going to talk about him. I know what you're going that, for, too. Um, he he basically says, look, you, you unleash the ghosts. It's your responsibility to get them into the box because you release them. Like, that's how it works. Yeah. Um, here's a crystal ball to contact me. And then he says specifically to Daphne, um... Hold on. I'm in the yellow pages. Yeah. And then he winks at her. Is the yellow pages how people hit each other up back in the day? Hey, check me out on, uh, I'm on Snapchat, I'm on Instagram, and uh, yellowpage.com. <laughs> and here we are at the end of the episode. We've had the premise of the remainder of the series laid out for us now. Their mission is to recapture all these 13 ghosts that Scooby and Shaggy released. And uh, along with them on the ride is going to be Flim Flam. Yeah, Flim Flam tags along. By the way, Flim Flam fills the plane mm. with his joy juice <laughs> yeah he uh he pumps the plane full of his joy juice just enough to uh get it up get the plane off the ground um and it really it really energizes the plane yeah uh scrappy's like oh flim flim flam's uh coming with us flim flam says scrappy i think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship yeah which is odd because you you feel like they're very much in opposition to each other like they're You'd think they'd be jostling for the same role. They are. I mean, they are, and Flim Flam has won. Yeah. It's a, it's a bogle turn of events. <laughs> How bogle is this? <laughs> How bogle is this? Look, I don't, look, look girl, I don't want to make things bogle that's between what, us or anything like that. But. That's what, we, why didn't we do this right at the beginning? <laughs> we should have. That would have been the better way to do it. <laughs> Listen, we know how uh, how strange it'll be that one of the characters' name is you know is a, is a commonly used expression, so we're just gonna really lean into it. Especially an expression that we use a lot of the time, so we're just gonna we're just gonna keep saying it. I'm sorry, just let that be part of the joke. So without making things any more bogle, let's go ahead and, <laughs> and get moving on. Okay, you know what? Let's just uh, I'll retroactively put lots of bogles earlier. Let's just say bogle for like 20 seconds. Bogle, 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 it's certainly the this story is not over, although the episode is concluded. We'll have to watch the other 12 episodes to get the full picture, um, which we're not going to do next week. We're going to space this out as long as we can. I don't want to return to this soon. Two two things to finish up the episode. One of them is that Bogle and Weird tag along on the plane. Oh, yeah. Bogle and Weird are going to be along for the ride as well. For one thing, we know this is going to be a jet-setting series. Because they're taking a plane all over the place. So they want to show us the world. And Bogle and Weird are going to be along for the ride. What they want out of this, I don't know. Because they've this, sh this episode should have ended with them reflecting on the fact that they accomplished what they wanted. But they didn't get the approval that they wanted. That they'd elevated the wrong people to a high place in their minds. I really hope that this isn't them still trying to win over the ghosts. Because how sad and pathetic would that be? I don't know. It's not clear. All we know is that they're along for the ride more. Clearly, they're just going to be continually trying to F things up. But I think the joke is going to be that the gang is never aware of them because they're not very effective at it. And possibly that they're so ineffective that they end up helping the group capture these ghosts yeah. that they're trying to impress. Although, to their credit, their um, 
Their Scooby-Doop went off without a hitch. It was one of the most epic Scooby-Doops I've ever seen. The most epic Scooby-Doop I've ever seen. Why am I even uh, qualifying that? At, at this point, and this is our fourth episode, right? We're four deep. Yeah. Um, it's it's the best one, and it's not even Scooby and Shaggy. It's, it's non-traditional, but it's a high bar. To touch on uh, the fact there are 12 episodes left, this show is called The 13 Episodes of Scooby-Doo. I can only assume uh, that they take kind of a Scott Pilgrim tact tactic. Uh, in that one of the books or one of the episodes, they double up. I'm guessing there's going to be a double ghost, like there will be something about the ghost that they're twins or something. Mm-hmm, right. Just like the, the Katayanagi twins in Scott Pilgrim. Exactly, yeah. So it makes sense that they'd be doing them at the same time. So that's that. Before we get uh, too far along in the wrap-up, let's talk tropes. What tropes were present in this very unusual episode of Scooby-Doo? This is the least amount just across the board. Let me hit it one by one. So splitting up to look for clues... Not a bit. There's no mystery. That's that's the big problem. There's no mystery here. Yeah, so all the mystery-related stuff is just not going to do anything. And there's no villain that they're aware of, so there's no trap. There is a chase. It's not the classic Scooby chase, because it's not fun. It's terrifying. It's terrifying, and it's over a long distance over a long period of time. This is The Revenant, not Scooby-Doo. They're getting chased over a, a broad range by wild animals. <laughs> Almost timely. <laughs> I know. I'm like, man, if this if this was a different Oscar season, that would have really landed. <laughs> oh, well. The chase scene is not even really a chase scene. And you know what? To me, it kind of has to be a musical chase scene. There, there needs to be a song. And here's one thing that, honestly, it would have been so easy for them to put in. Scooby and Shaggy don't eat a large amount of food. We establish that they like food. Shaggy has his burger and his or order food comment. Order in the court. Y'all have some burgers. He has that, but they don't eat anything. So it's barely referenced that they are gluttons. And, uh, well, the Scooby-Doop, the Scooby-Doop is present. I'm going to give him a pass on that one. Uh, is that is that it? I think that might be the only one that they got, right? Almost. The only other ones are the wrap-up or the unmasking and you meddling kids, which there was certainly not a bit of. There's so much about this that makes it not classic Scooby-Doo. And it really just boils down to the fact that there, again, there's no mystery. Like, they shouldn't even be flying a mystery machine. The mystery machine is Fred's van. I feel like that that's established from pretty early on and consistent throughout. Um, but uh, those are the tropes. We hit so few, almost none of them. Oh yeah, and certainly Scooby Snacks, neither uh, head nor hide. And, and the perfect spot for them, too. Perfect opportunity for them. So that's the tropes, our weekly trope rundown. So just to, to dive back in for a couple final thoughts. This series was lambasted by certain religious parties for its use of genuine demons and real supernatural stuff, which is something I love about Scooby-Doo originals, is that they're, they have this great rationalist theme to them. They're scary stuff that's understandable, that you're scared of and that you believe that it's real. But if we dig deeper and if we look for clues, we can see that there's a reasonable explanation for this. This series foregoes that in a way that's a bit disappointing to me. But to some parties, the supernatural elements were offensive. It is such a weird 180, which is that, nor yeah, regular Scooby-Doo, as you said, rationalist, like it's initially introduced as frightening, but then it's like, oh no, this is nothing to be scared of. They're solving their own problem. Mm. But in this, it's like, no, the problem is still... Like, like, ghosts and all of these things existing is a problem, right? I, I mean, granted, it tells you you should be afraid of smoky bars where creepy people offer you drinks and try and sing real close to your face. But it's not an overall theme that's very helpful. And the specific religious group pushback that I'm referring to 
is that of Gary Greenwald with Eagle's Nest Ministries, who produced a documentary way back when called Deception of a Generation. And I'm just going to quote his opening to this. Uh, Gary Greenwald says that in the past, Eagle's Nest Ministries has exposed certain things like rock and roll music, Dungeons and Dragons, marijuana, and even the New Age movement. I, I love that. I love it because it's like, okay, um, uh, the New Age movement, yes, there's some spirituality. Like rock and roll music, they had like, oh, if you play songs backwards, there's like Hail Satan, whatever. Oh, what was that other thing you said? Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons, yeah, okay, sure, I feel it. There's magic and whatnot. But like marijuana. That hay fever they're worried about right there. Uh, just such a like old-timey conservative <laughs> fear-mongering stance. And I love that in that documentary, the guy that they get on to talk about it, like, clearly a cartoons nerd. Like, he's talking about He-Man and, like, quoting episodes and stuff, but he's judging it. But you can tell he likes judging it because he gets to watch it. It's hilarious. He's a, he's a closet, he's a closeted cartoon cartoonophile. Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. And you know what? I've been out of the closet for a while, and I've gotten some flack for it, so I feel for him. But it's just, it's hilarious. And it's more than a little bogle. So, the... <laughs> Here's the thing. Are we cutting all of that out or aren't we? I have no idea. Record scratch. On second thought, let's not cut that. Let's just keep it all in and let's springboard off of those four things that Deception of a Generation noted. Uh, rock and roll, the New Age movement, marijuana, and Dungeons and Dragons to tell you guys that we're going to be dealing with one of those topics in next week's episode. And we're not going to tell you which one. I think it would be a little bit more enjoyable if you figured it out yourself. Maybe don't use Google. Yeah, keep yourself in suspense like we want you, and enjoy next week's episode. Which episode is that? Yeah, definitely definitely do not type these search terms into Google. Do not type in Scooby-Dude. Do yeah. not type in uh, a pup named Scooby-Doo. Yeah, don't watch that video on one of the many mirror streaming sites. Just listen to our podcast this upcoming week for an amazing episode where you can preview the Mystery Inc. team as their kids. Yeah, Scooby-Doo is a puppy and the rest of the gang are children. It's a pretty good time and uh, we obviously chose that episode because, hey, it sounds a lot like the, uh, the title of our podcast. Yeah. The Scooby-Dudes doing Scooby-Dude. But for now, we'd like to thank some very special people who keep this podcast running, who make it possible for us to do this week by week. Yeah, we really appreciate the support, and that is why every single week we like to say their names. So here's a shout-out to all of our existing donors. Thank you for keeping our lights on. Leon! And if you would like to join these esteemed professional contributors, just check us out at patreon.com slash scoobydudes for a lot of amazing exclusive content. Every little bit helps. Like Luke said, we do have incentives and we like to, we, we really try to give you your bang for your buck. So uh, we're, we're proud of that. If you have any suggestions, let us know. But Absolutely. And if you want to let us know whatever you want to let us know, just email us at scoobydudespodcast at gmail.com. We're interested in your thoughts on the podcast or just in general, believe it or not. We have enough time to read every email. Yeah, if you like liking things, uh, like us on Facebook. That's just facebook.com slash scoobydudes. Yeah, uh, if you want to check out a Twitter feed on fire, um, check us out at the Scooby Dudes at the Scooby Dudes. Tweet at us. We will almost certainly tweet back at you. We'll probably follow back. Yeah, we're generous on Twitter. So hit us up on that. 
More than anything, please check us out on our website, scoobydudes.com. We have a lot of amazing content on there. It's not even at a premium. We have captions, screenshots, show notes, amazing original art. Please check us out, scoobydudes.com. Yep. Uh, listening to this podcast, fantastic. We love it. If you want the complete experience, go over there. Uh, one last thing that I want to mention, just because I feel like I rarely do. If you uh, if you found us on iTunes, if you want to drop us a rating, if you want to give us, uh, you know, maybe maybe five stars... Rate us five stars on iTunes. Leave a review and let people know why you like this podcast so that we can bring more people into the fold. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you for donating and checking us out. We do this for you. I do this for you, Evan. I love I, you. I, I do this for our listeners. Yeah, I, I do it for our listeners as well because I want them to know how much I love you. A lot. Right. But I, I love the listeners. You realize this. I love our listeners too. Who else can can witness my love for you, Evan, like our listeners can. They don't need to listen. They just need to listen to our podcast. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, they'll know if they listen. All right, I love you, listeners. Let's catch you, catch you next week. I love you too, Evan. Bye. All right.